So yeah, a few years ago, uh, one of my good friends who does a lot of nonprofit work with organizations like Make-A-Wish, the New York Yankees, and New York Mets, wanted me to go on a trip with him to Florida to help him with an event. He was doing this event to help underprivileged children receive Christmas gifts. And so, hey, December, Florida, I'm all in, good cause, I was for it. And so he told me, my friend told me, he was like, hey, there's this one guy that's coming with us that you'll love, you'll hit it off. And so when we met for coffee, like all the group to discuss like the event and stuff, me and him really hit it off. Um, the dude was funny. And if you can make me laugh, I want to hang out with you. Uh, the dude loved, it seemed like he really loved Jesus. He would talk about his prayer life, talk about how he read his Bible all the time. He just seemed like a genuine guy that wanted to change the world. Fast forward to when the trip started. <laughs> and it was almost like instantaneously, this dude became a totally different person. He became a diva. Now, we get to Florida, and he wanted to rent a Mustang, which I'm fine with. Especially when you say, hey, I'm paying for the rental car, right? That sounds great. Problem is, the dude was broke, and he didn't have enough money for the Mustang, and he wouldn't change his mind about it. So I had to chip in a little bit to, you know, provide the Mustang thing. And so, and it got worse and worse. We found out the only reason why he really wanted to come on this trip was to drive two hours to the nearest beach with a Mustang with girls that he picked up on Tinder and just have them look like DJ Khaled in Miami or something. Like, that's all he wanted to do. We were there to help underprivileged children receive, you know, Christmas gifts and bring joy and laughter and memories. He was there to do something else. And so he, we, we, he just wanted to go to expensive restaurants. He wanted to go shopping all the time. And it was crazy to me because all of a sudden this dude who I thought you know, was a good guy, all of a sudden wanted to become like DJ Khaled. It blew my mind. And it got to so bad at one point that um, randomly one night, the night before we were supposed to leave, he just shuts off his phone, takes his little Mustang, and drives away, and we had no idea for hours where he was. And it was the night before we were supposed to leave, and we, I was panicking. For the first time, I was, like, crying for mommy because I wanted to make sure that I went back home. It was pretty scary. Comes to find out, though, he just, like, randomly drove to Taco Bell, which was kind of, like, disappointing. Like, out of all the places you go, you went to Taco Bell. Anyway, I haven't talked to that dude since. But have any of you ever been in that situation where you got to know somebody and you got to, like, really get to know them and... But it comes to find out they're a totally different person than you expected. It's a crazy feeling, right? Like you feel lied to, you feel st stabbed in the back. You're honestly a little disoriented and you, when you find out the true version of that person, right? You know, the ironic thing is it's really easy to point this out when it happens to other people. Like how so-and-so can be like that. Oh, how can this person say that and, you know, be two-faced, the truth is, if we're honest this morning, we do this ourselves. I experienced this with my wife, and she's experienced this with me while we were dating. <laughs> we always seem to put up a false self. We would show each other things that we wanted the other person to see. But then after time, tension, circumstances changes, life happens, we see each other's shadow sides and ourselves for who we actually are. And, you know, it makes me think of that situation with the guy on that trip. Like, why did he portray 
that this Jesus version of himself on, in that, like, on that day at the coffee shop. Like what was going on in his mind, his soul, his emotions that made him so immature? Why did he project a different version of himself? And why didn't his level of discipleship to Jesus actually truly transform him? It wasn't because he didn't know scripture. The dude was talking theology and spitting Bible verses all day long. He was also talking about how much he bragged about spending time with God in prayer for that coming trip. But what was it with this dude that seemingly he, could have, he was a follower of Jesus in public and even in private, yet arguably he was not letting Jesus transform him? Welcome to the series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. This series, and over the next eight weeks, and like I said before, the ministry, the nonprofit ministry, and can do serious work for you because we're going to be dealing with your iceberg because we all have a deep shadow side, a false self, so to speak. Things that are below the surface that we like to hide from our friends, family, and also God. That can damage your relationships with friends, family, and also God. And one of the key ideas from last week, if you weren't here, is that you can't be spiritually mature, if that's your heart and that's your desire, while remaining emotionally immature. And what I've learned for myself that to become emotionally mature and healthy, you need to have some level of self-awareness. The guy who was with me in Florida didn't have any self-awareness to see that he was living out of a false identity. And you need to know and have some level of self-awareness of how you're living and you need to know your iceberg. You need to know that 90% of you, your dark closets, your shadow side, your false self, your sin nature, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So that leads me to say this morning, who are you? Who's the real you? How deep does your iceberg go? How often do you portray your false self? What is your identity? This is all the things that we'll be talking about today. And I strongly encourage you to read chapter two of this book. What it, I think it does a great job of Talking about how to live not worried about what other people think and living your new nature, your true self in Christ. But I don't want to just reverberate everything that's in this book. I want this teaching to be an addition. And I think will be a helpful teaching and understanding some of the key concepts of the book. But I think for many of us today, one of the reasons why we are, might be immature or lack immaturity in, immaturity in different areas is because of lack of self-awareness. But before we get into that, I want to address something in the room that I know maybe some of you are thinking. Because, honestly, I would be thinking this if I was you. We'll be talking a lot about you and yourself. And you might be thinking, what's with this self-talk? Why are you talking about you? And you might be thinking, this is the problem with churches today. All you, have, all you do is talk about yourself and you, 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 you. All you got to do is just preach the gospel and preach the word and that's it. And if you're thinking that, um, welcome. And there's a book out there called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality that I would love for you to pick up if you're struggling with that. Um, because don't worry, we'll open up the scriptures, we'll dive deep, and we probably should open up the pages you're ignoring. But, uh, ooh, ooh, sorry. Um, but anyway, I, I'm being a little facetious. But the reason why I say that is because I would have thought, I, I would be thinking that too. I kind of grew up in a semi-fundamentalist tradition and was taught an incomplete 
theology on what a human is and their identity is, especially for those who are in Christ. There are theologies and traditions that talk about humans that are honestly just incomplete. You'll hear preachers emphasize certain parts of scripture, but fail to mention others and just maybe sometimes straight up disregard others. But instead of giving you an hour-long lecture of the complexities and nuances of a human in scripture, let me, up, let me sum all that up by saying this simple sentence. That every single one of you here in this room, you are beautiful and you are broken. You're beautiful and you're also broken. You're beautiful because you're not only valuable and worthwhile to the creator because of his love for you, you are made in the image of God. And this means way more than just you have purpose and value. We've kind of turned this uh, image of God's phrase into a self-help thing, but it's way more than that. Is that you as a human are meant to partner with the living God and rule over the earth, entrusting God's wisdom to take the raw potential out of this world and turn it into something beautiful like the living God does. Read Genesis 1 through 3. But you're also broken because of this disease called sin, where it affects every part of you from your mind, your body, its desires, it affects your soul, it affects you where you trust yourself more than you trust God, which wreaks havoc in our world and in your own soul. If you have any problems with anything I'm going to be saying, seriously email me at a.karajr at crossroadsbenson.com. My email is on the website. Because I would love to sit down with you to just show you from page one on the beautiful complexities of the human self. But as followers of Jesus, who I'm mainly talking to today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to say welcome. It's so cool that you're here. But I am going to be talking to not followers, I mean, sorry, followers of Jesus today. And, but I'll tell you towards the end of this little message talk that how to become a follower of Jesus that can radically transform your life. But as followers of Jesus today, knowing yourself is a key component to discipleship, your discipleship to Jesus. Knowing yourself is a key component. Knowing the beautiful parts of you, the gifts, your talents, your creativity, aesthetics, amazing things about you for that God has placed in you and also the brokenness within you, your shadow side, your selfishness, your hurts is all a key component to your discipleship to Jesus of you becoming the image of his son. And I just want to be clear. You'll hear it in today's culture, things like, oh, you just got to find yourself. You got to be your true self. You have to find your truth. That has nothing to do with what we're going to be talking about this morning. Because all this is in the context of those who put their faith and allegiance in King Jesus. But in one sense, just to maybe trigger some of you, you are a snowflake. Because <laughs> you are unique. And God made you specifically you. I love how Marissa would just read over to us. We didn't plan it. Psalm 139. That God made you and God created you and uniquely you. So you are a snowflake. And you're also a snowflake because you in your unique creative way bring damage and chaos and destruction into the world because of this thing called sin. So yeah, you are a snowflake. You're beautiful and you're broken. And I would love to also balance this teaching out with um, self-denial and dying to self that Jesus talks about, especially in our culture of self-fulfillment. And also just the idea that 
we can always like see ourselves in the stories and the in the in these in scripture and we kind of take them and make it about ourselves which is not what the biblical authors intended to do at all and because we live in this individualistic society and not a collective society like it was written but it does matter that we talk about you individually because you can't contribute to us if you don't know you and I'm also just not making this up to tickle ears I'm People have been saying this throughout church history. Augustine in AD 400 said, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? He prayed, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. Mr. Eckhart, I, I still don't know if I'm saying that right, <laughs> said, no one can know God who does not first know himself. St. Teresa said, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. And even the reformer himself, for my reformed friends in this room, John Calvin said in 1530, wrote in his opening of his Institute of Christian Religion, our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two precedes and gives birth to the other. I love Apostle Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament who kind of summarizes my whole message in a few sentences. He says this to a letter to Timothy. He says, pay close attention to yourself. So why is self-awareness important to talk about? I mean, just think about it for a minute. How many pastors have you read about or know who started a church and often a big, this big mega church with thousands of people who knew the Bible and theology, who were well educated and a lot of times woke up every single day to pray and read the Bible, but at some point imploded and dragged hundreds of thousands of people with them down the well, all because they were blinded to their own shadow side. Maybe they were running from a father wound that went back two to three decades but just all of a sudden left a trail of people who hate the church and want nothing to do with Jesus. Oh, let's just make it more personal. How many couples do you know that had so much potential to make a great life together but ended a relationship or a marriage before it even got off the ground because they did not know their own beauty or brokenness? Or how many parents do you know? Maybe your own mom or your own dad who missed their own identity and was blind to their own shadow side and unhealth and immaturity and their, from their own mother and father or family or origin that kind of just leaks in and infects your siblings and your family and you as well. Or maybe you, <laughs> that you have no idea the amount of brokenness that you are living out of. And, and brokenness, I don't just mean you have this like lying problem. But I mean that you cling your worth and value on things that you cherish so much that ultimately will perish. So our self-awareness or lack of self-awareness has a direct bearing on our relationship to God and other people. I'm going to say that again. Our self-awareness or our lack of self-awareness has a direct bearing on our relationship to God and other people. So you need to know yourself. You need to become self-aware so that you can become more of the new human that God wants you to become. That is not living from brokenness, but from beauty. Not your old self, but your new self. Again, Apostle Paul just says things in a few sentences. He says this in the letter to Ephesians. He says, you were taught... With regard to your former way of life, this is Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. To put off your old self, 
which belongs to your former desires and, and corrupted through deceitful desires. But you're supposed to be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this isn't just about self-awareness for self-help therapy <laughs> sessions or anything like that. No, this is what Paul says about living out righteousness, which means right relationships between God and people and holiness to be set apart, to live a beautiful life, which is all about spiritual formation, which is becoming transformed by Jesus. And here's the deal. When you go into the journey of looking into your shadow side, dark side, your old self that has corrupted your whole person, it's honestly really hard to do that. It's really, really hard. I know for me, and the series and the books, um, it's taken me years to fully fledge out how I often live for the sake of others and not for my king. It's taken years to see how much of my people-pleasing nature has affected every part of my life to big decisions to small decisions I've made. And it's hard <laughs> and not easy to be self-aware of how ugly your ugly is. And that's why, honestly, some of us don't like talking about this. Because once you take a look at yourself in that mirror and you dig deep in that iceberg, you'll find the good, the bad, and a lot of the ugly you've been avoiding. The places where you are deeply wounded and in need of healing. The places where you're not wounded at all and you're kind of messed up and a bit of a jerk and you need to grow up and be free to mature. But the thing is, this is why so many people never go on the journey of self-awareness because it's too much work, it's too scary, and they don't feel safe. And so instead, so many people live in this toxic loop of unhealthy, toxic behaviors. I know so many people living from brokenness, of ministry guys that all they could talk about is their numbers in their ministry while their marriages are falling apart. I met so many guys in the music industry that are running to achieve something because they never received love from their father. And so many people today still live out of insecurity because they can't go on social media because they're too insecure about seeing everyone else's highlight reels and they compare themselves. And you blame social media, but really what it's doing is just showing you on the inside your shadow side. But listen, when you face your shadow side and you have the courage to do so, your brokenness, what the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality calls your false self, you'll begin on a journey of change, of healing, freedom, growth, and maturity, what is called spiritual formation, where you are formed to be more like Jesus. And so the question I want to pivot the rest of this time is, are you self-aware of the identity you're living from? Do you live from your broken? beauty, what God says about you, and all that you are in Christ, in Christ Jesus, or your brokenness, your shadow side, hurts, wounds, sinful nature, your false self. And don't just say beauty, because that is the right Christian answer in this moment. What are the actions, behaviors, routines, words, movement, schedules, times, and reactions to things that happen that you are living in that you can trace back to either your beauty or your brokenness. And so this is why you need to know yourself, to know God, and become emotionally mature. Now, this is all nice, and it's all great, 
but maybe if you're tracking with me, how, how do you become self-aware? How do you become so, so self-aware of the identity that you live from? Well, good news, bad news. Good news is that you can change, but the bad news is it's not going to happen right now in this moment, most likely. We, we, I've been guilty of saying this, and I want to repent of saying this. I want to change the way I do it and say it now. But to say um, it, it kind of comes off as not 100% true that we often preachers say, like, if you come in here, we want to leave differently. And that's not 100% true because just because you go to the gym once and you leave the gym don't mean you're going to have six-pack abs. I've learned that the hard way, right? And so change and growth and maturity takes time. It's a journey. It's a process of walking with Jesus. It's not going to happen overnight. You might become aware and awaken to a different reality. That can set the course of your life differently. But the truth is change and growth takes time. And so our job is to help you do that in the best way possible. But it's a journey, so it's not going to happen overnight. But there is this story in the uh, Gospel of Matthew that is seriously like, Still to this day, I keep going back to, and I just, it blows my mind, especially in, this, in that last song just a little bit ago that we sang. So we'll be in Matthew chapter 3. And I just want to look at the story of Jesus that um, as seriously, as the more and more I meditate and I think about it, it seriously has um, done great work in my heart and soul. And so if you, have, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles that are right underneath your seats that you can pick up and read. Um, that's our gift to you. But if you don't have a Bible, don't have an app on your phone, you can look at the screens as we read this story. We'll be in chapter 3, verse 13, the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented and listen to this, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now there's so much in there that I don't have the time to explain. But this is such a crucial moment in the life of Jesus. Because before Jesus did anything in his earthly ministry... Before he healed the sick, raised the dead, taught about the reality of the kingdom, before he did anything that in our eyes would get him approval and love, he received approval and love from his father. Before he did anything. And this has huge implications on Jesus because we see in this moment, before he does his ministry, where he gets his identity from. He gets his identity from heaven and not from earth, from what the Father says and not what anything else that he could have received it from. And so Jesus lived in that love from the Father and out of that love from the Father. He knew who he was and he lived out of that identity. 
Jesus got his identity from his father. And this moment, I believe, is so crucial to his life because we witness from this point forward the withstanding of pressure from everybody else. Disappointment from his own family and his own siblings because they thought he was crazy. His own town thought he was crazy and wanted to push him off a cliff. He disappointed his closest friends when they projected their own version of the Messiah on him. He disappointed the crowds. He disappointed the religious leaders. All because he lived into the identity that he received from the Father and not from anyone else. And this has huge implications for us as well. See, some of you don't feel safe on doing the hard work of going deep because you're scared, like I said before. And some of you men in this room who just kind of playing this off right now, like, yeah, I don't need to do this. I don't need to talk about my past. The past is the past. Emotions, whatever. This is all like, I don't, I suck it up. I deal with it. I'm a man. I'm just going to deal with it. You know, you say that, yet your marriage is falling apart and your wife wants to leave you because she has to deal with and sees your shadow side. And it's destroying your marriage from the inside out and you're too stubborn to see it. Harsh? I'm sorry. But I just want you to have a flourishing marriage. And... I know what you're doing. You're not doing this because you're too cool for school and don't want to do this. But because deep down inside, you don't feel loved. and you Because you never received love from your earthly father. So you'll never, you've never experienced your heavenly father's love. And so you would rather hide, play tough guy, while your shadow side is destroying your life. While you watch porn to numb the pain. And you get angry at your kids because you can't deal with your own insecurities. Sorry if I'm harsh, guys, but on March 16th, we're having starting up a men's ministry again called Fight Club. Please come. <laughs> and see, the problem is that we're not self-aware to realize that the many things we are doing is because we live from a place of our identity on things that are broken, on things of this earth. So let's continue reading the story. Then Jesus, chapter 4, was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, there's so much in here. But what I want to focus on in this story are different ways that we as people can place our identities, can root our identities in and contrast them to Jesus' life here. John Mark Comer, one of my favorite authors and pastors and teachers, categorizes four different ways um, where people place their identity on earth instead of heaven. And they all start with the letter P if you're taking notes. And the first word is pleasure. It's pleasure. We are what we want. We see Jesus in this text, in this story right here, starving because he fasted for 40 days. But think about it for a second. The desire of hunger is a good thing. <laughs> Your body is telling you that when you're starving, you need food to survive, right? You don't want to see me when my, I'm hangry. My false self comes out. But it's interesting how culture and sometimes ourselves, we can place our worth our identity, our false self loves to gravitate to pleasure. And when we do that, when we place our identity in pleasure, it's a sinking sand. Because our culture does this all the time, especially because it feels good. 
Pleasure feels good. The pleasure of food, for instance, or things like sex, triggers a chemical in our brain called dopamine, which literally rewires our brain to pursue that action more because we are creating that chemical. Which is why so many of us in this room have a hard time kicking bad habits of eating sugar and fatty foods and looking at things online that we shouldn't be looking at because of the good feelings of pleasure and dopamine. But listen, good food and sex is good for you. Of course it is, but in the right context. When all you crave is pleasure, the thing your shadow side consumes more than anything else, you need to submit that to King Jesus. But you might be saying, Anthony, I don't place my identity in food or sex. I'm a Christian. I don't see myself like that. Well, have you ever heard of the phrase, you are what you eat? What you do on a regular basis defines you more than what you think does because actions speak louder than words. So you don't know where your identity is, you're struggling, start with your actions, your behaviors, your routines, your bank statements, your caloric intake for which the identity you live out of. Followers, followers of Jesus struggle with this, but especially if you don't follow Jesus. I see it right now all over <laughs> Twitter, all over just the idea that so many people place all their worth and uh, identity in sexuality. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think that the wave of culture right now is to do that. But I just would love to challenge you. And I would love for you to ponder if that's a great <laughs> identity source to take from is pleasure. But we see also in this passage something else that Jesus could have easily placed his identity in, which is performance. Which is performance, that we are what we do. Because we see Jesus being asked to do something and achieve something incredible, right? Turning stones into bread is a pretty cool accomplishment. And some of us love to place our worth and identity in what we do in our accomplishments. That if we don't have the right job, the highest status, being the best at whatever we do. Or maybe just the fact that we think we are a good person. That because of we are a good person, we should be loved. All of that is a sinking sand. Because if you fail or get criticized, it destroys you on the inside. And you might be placing your worth on your performance. Some of you can't even lose in a simple game of basketball or ping pong because your whole worth and identity is attached to your performance, what you achieve. And if you lose, then who are you? But see, the reality of the kingdom is something different. It's upside down. When you lose, you're actually winning. But that's a whole other message. But we see Jesus not place his identity in his performance or pleasure. The story Continues, and let's keep reading. Verse 5 says this, then, he took the, uh, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to your, the test. See, in this, in this little section right here, we see that Jesus could have easily placed his identity in popularity. We place, so many of us place our identity in what others think of us. We see that Satan invited Jesus to throw himself down to the highest spot in the temple so that people might believe in him, to gain worth from what others think. And our shadow side loves to feast and loves to place its worth on popularity. And that insecurity grows 
when we are addicted to what others think. And for me personally, that is, out of all these P words, that sounds weird, but out of all these things that we can easily place our identity in, that is something that I struggle with the most. Verse 8, he continues and says, and the story goes and says, Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you just fall down and worship me. But then Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only him shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. We see Jesus get taken to see all the beauty and splendor and power of the earth. And the devil basically said to him, like, look, look around you at what everybody else has. You don't own anything. How can you think you are somebody? And what the devil was doing here was he was trying to get Jesus to place his identity on his possessions, the things that he, they, he has. And what the devil was doing was focusing on issues of fear and source of security, or what he has or doesn't have. And our culture does the same thing as well. We can easily do this as well. And I see this getting older that we, we have talk, conversations on who has the most money, who has the prettiest body, who has the most comfortable life. We get our sense of worth and identity is tied to more of a position at work and the things that we have and accumulate over life. But Jesus was way wiser than that. And he knows all the things that the devil was tempting him would crumble and fail because it wasn't from a place of his father's love what his father said about him. And so we too can easily place our worth in pleasure, possessions, popularity, or performance. And when we do this, our false self, our shadow side, loves to trick us, deceive us, and place its worth, our worth, in that. But the thing is, just like Jesus, this is one of the most important points of this talk right now, is that every follower of Jesus, just like Jesus, needs to live in their identity from heaven and not from earth. We need to become people who live just like Jesus lived and live from the place where Jesus lived. But I know you guys are smart in this room. And you might be thinking, this is about Jesus, Anthony. <laughs> we are not Jesus. Yeah, it makes sense to receive your identity from heaven when you're Jesus. Jesus was perfect. I'm not. Jesus was God. I'm not. Of course Jesus lived from his identity from his father. He was Jesus. I get it. But two things. One, Jesus was fully God and also fully human. This is the historic orthodox view of Jesus. So he was human just like we were. And he, even Hebrew says it, that he was our priest who was tempted in every way. Besides all that theological fluff that you might be, you know, kind of avoiding the real deeper matter, I think the core issue is you're, you might be thinking this, that, of course, God loves Jesus because he's Jesus, and God loves Jesus because he's perfect, and so God can't love me because I'm me. I'm broken. Jesus wasn't broken. I'm broken. So how can God love me? If I'm broken, if I do have brokenness within me. And this is where I want to land the plane and focus on. Because some of you here in this room, no matter how many times you've been to church, no matter how many times you've heard the message that God loves you, 
you still feel unlovable. That you feel like you can't live from love because you really don't believe that you are loved. And you know that Jesus loves you because the Bible tells you so, but that's not your reality or felt experience. And so I, here's what I want to land on if you're struggling with that. I've kept saying something throughout this entire message that, that we need to live from our identity in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. I don't have time to explain. That's a whole other lecture and talk. <laughs> but there's this big theological term called incorporation or union. And here it is in a nutshell. For those of you that are followers of Jesus, that have placed their faith and trust and their allegiance on Jesus, what is true of Christ is what's true of you. That when you are in Christ, when that's your reality, whatever is true of Christ is true of you. So when the father looks at Jesus in the story and says, this is my beloved child, he is now, because of being incorporated into union with Christ, is now saying that to you. Have you heard of the cliche, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus? It's kind of a cliche, and it's not 100% correct, because, yeah, God still sees your brokenness, and he still sees you for you. But there is immense truth in that, that when he looks at you, he does see Jesus. And this is who you are in Christ. And I would argue, which is the most truest thing about you, now that you're in Christ. And if you need a full... <laughs> Uh, full thesis of your new identity as a follower of Jesus. Just read the first three chapters of Ephesians because it's an exhaustive list of who you are now that you're in Christ. He goes on for three chapters with run-on sentences in the Greek of your new identity, that you're loved, that you're adopted, that you're chosen, that you're in alive now, that you're part of this family, that you're part of the new creation. He just goes on for three chapters. But instead of giving you that exhaustive list and say, hey, go do that, have fun with that, I just want to focus in on the theme that we've been talking about all morning. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me to say, because of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, you are loved. Despite your brokenness, not because of your beauty, you are loved. Before you can prove yourself to him, before you can prove yourself to others, before you get your identity right and you stop being insecure and you live from a place of health, before you, or even if you never deal with your iceberg, even if in the midst of your father wounds and hurts from the past, even in the midst of the deep darkness and ugly parts that you choose to live out of, even in the midst of your own insecurity, you are already loved. You are already chosen. You are loved more than you can ever imagine. And that is enough. So just like the father looked at Jesus and said, I love you, you are my beloved because of Christ and because of union with him, he looks at you and says, you are loved. That you are loved. That I love you. That you are loved. And this is the identity that we need to live out of, which is safe, which is whole, which is healing, which is restorative, which is a redeeming kind of love. And that's great, right? That's amazing. Anthony, I've heard this all my life. You're not giving me anything new. I thought this book was supposed to change my life. I was supposed to be this new thing. How do we, you might be asking this, how do we continually live out of all that we are in Christ? But it's true 
if it's the most, Anthony, if it's the most true thing about me as a follower of Jesus, that we are loved, I don't feel that. How do we continually live from that place even if I don't feel it? And I'll give you two action steps if you're bold and want to take these concepts and apply it to your life. It's two words, contemplation and community. Contemplation and community. First on contemplation. How is Jesus able to live from that place of love? Well, we just saw and we just read that he was fasting for 40 days. That after he was baptized and after he heard an audible voice from the Father saying, you are my beloved, he spent 40 days in the wilderness just contemplating that. Spending time with his Father just con Again, he's a human and we can learn from him. He's a good teacher. And he just spent time in the wilderness contemplating his love from the Father in silence and in fasting. And that's what I want you to do this week is simply set some time each and every day to just simply contemplate how much God loves you and that you are beloved. And if you don't know what contemplating means, if that's a big fancy term, the book really talks about uh, contemplative spirituality, which is um, in different streams of the church. It's impacted my life now for a few years. But it's just in simple terms, it's a commitment to slow down our lives in order to create space and rhythm to be with Jesus. This is straight from the book. It was, it's about creating space through practices such as Sabbath, stopping from working, spending 24 hours not doing that, silence and prayer, things that we'll be talking about in the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned. But it's, all this is drawn from the life of Moses, Elijah, and John the Baptist, and Jesus' life in order to remain in his love, which Jesus talks about, John 15, abiding in his love. The love that we first received from him. So it's about slowing down to be with Jesus. You might be thinking, Anthony, I am too busy. I am a mom. I've got kids. I'm a college student. I've got, I've got three different jobs. I'm barely making ends meet. I don't have time to slow down. Well, let me share you this story. It's a guy named Carlo Coretta, and he wanted to become this monk, and he wanted to just spend 30-plus years in the wilderness to just simply pray, be with God, and, and just thinking that because of that, he'll become transformed and changed. Comes back, and he comes back and sees his mother. And after 30 years of praying, being in the wilderness by himself, living like a monk, Comes back to his mom, who raised kids, had a family, was busy, did the laundry, dishes, had a job, just going 90 miles per hour. <laughs> and he realized after spending 30, more, 30 years in the wilderness that his own mother was more of a contemplative than he was. That she was more at peace. <laughs> even with the busy schedule, even with the high demands of raising a family which I'm starting to realize is a lot. <laughs> and so if you don't feel like you can slow down, you can. <laughs> you just have to be intentional about it. You have to use wisdom and be intentional about slowing down, saying yes to Jesus and saying maybe no to a lot of other things that you really want to do for the sake of not just because your relationship with Jesus and because you have to do so to be a good Christian, no, because your soul is in desperate need of living from a place of love. 
and not brokenness. And so you don't need hours upon hours of the day. You just need to focus on contemplating or meditating is another good word. It comes from 2 Corinthians where Paul's just simply gaze, wants to contemplate and gaze at the Father for who he is. And I want you to practice that this week of reminding yourself that you're loved. And the second thing is community. There's other people around you. I believe community is like essential for every follower of Jesus. Because listen to this. If you're not in a community crew, one of the things, one of my responsibilities is overseeing now community crews. And if you're a community crew leader and you're listening to this and you want to do this, like, please go ahead and do this. I don't know if I should want to do it or not because of different crews and all that stuff. But just imagine you now taking this message and going, going to somebody's house and you're at the dining room table or you're in the living room just chilling and... I love Bible studies, and Bible studies are great. And studying the Word of God to re, uh, re, transform our minds is so crucial. But there's also <laughs> living by the Spirit and praying for others. So imagine just taking time and just simply saying, you know what, this is the place. This is my brokenness. This is my shadow side. This is my insecurities. This is my false self. And just being vulnerable and honest and saying, hey, this is where I'm at. <laughs> and then people your age or whoever just came around you, prayed over you, spoke life into you, encouraged you. Guys, when I've, done, when I've experienced that, that, there's something powerful about that. Because there's, <laughs> I, I could go off and I don't want to because I want to land the plane soon. But just imagine you being in a community of people reminding you, encouraging you of who you are and who you already are. The truest thing about you in Christ. And that's why you need community. And that, even just the fact that I'm married, my wife does a great job of reminding me of my failures and shortcomings. <laughs> and I could take that as criticism and being critical, or I could take that as correction of love and where I can look back on and say, hey, where, where am I living out of? Am I living from a place of surrender and love of Jesus or, or of selfishness? And so <laughs> doing this alone it's good. Following Jesus, being alone, in quiet time, in contemplative prayer. Yeah, that's good, but you also need that community aspect. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a, a, a brilliant theologian and writer, says this in his classic work, Life Together. He said, let the person who cannot be alone beware of community. Let the person who is not in community beware of being alone. We are to be alone together, a community of solitudes. And that's all I want you to reflect on as a follower of Jesus. Is which identity, are you self-aware of the identity you're living out of? Do you live from your brokenness or do you live from your beauty? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I kept saying this over and over again. That for this, this applies to those who are in Christ. And if you're feeling loved and you feel like, man, I am missing out on something. I want this to be true of me. How do I get in Christ? Jesus makes it really simple. All you have to do is simply repent and believe. Repent is a scary word. And you might have heard, and it's maybe got some bad connotations towards you, but that is simply to change the way you think about reality. And believing is just simply trusting in Jesus, the gospel, which is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for the salvation of your soul, for the healing 
of you. And so if you feel like, man, you want this to be true of you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And it's not about the prayer that really makes it. It's just a genuine relational connection with the Father that can save you now and for eternity. But all of us that are followers of Jesus, let's learn from this point forward to be self-aware of are we living from our brokenness or are we living from what God says about us, our beauty. So let's pray.